All right, I hope you have your Bibles. We are going to be all over the place in the Old Testament this morning, all right? I don't do this a lot. In fact, I typically try not to do it, um, but couldn't help it this morning. We're going to be all over the Old Testament. Um, so over the next five weeks, guys, we're going to, I don't know another way to put it, we're, we're going to talk about why we believe the Lord is calling us as a church to cross over and to build a new facility in a new location, okay? So, I, I mean, that's what we're going to do over the next five weeks. But he, hear me, please. Do not think for a moment that what we're talking about is just about a building, okay? Because what we're going to talk about actually over the next five weeks, we're actually going to talk about principles of life that apply to us no matter what, okay? They happen to apply to a building. They happen to, to, to be applicable here. But these are principles that God wants us to know in, in order to, to follow Him every single day of our lives, okay? Does that make sense? So, so, so our approach is not to try to present a plan and say, let's do this. Our approach is to go to Scripture and to see what God wants for His children every day, right? So, so for five weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what God desires for His children here and now and every day of their lives, and then we're going to talk about how that applies to our current situation, okay? So that, that's going to be our approach. Again, lots of ground to cover, um, but I'm going to ask you to join me in what I think is very appropriate uh, in a word of prayer, if you don't mind, okay? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, um, it's a big day. It's a big day. Five weeks are big. October 9th is big. I've called it a historic day in the life of our church. Those things are all true. But those things are just a representation of what you want to happen in us every single day. God, you have a plan for us. You have a desire for us because we, by the grace of by your grace, by, by the grace of Jesus, we have become your children. And you have good plans for your children. And so God, teach us how great a privilege, how great an honor that is to be called your child, to be called your son, to be called your daughter. Open our minds and our hearts, Father, and everything that we do here. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you in to be our teacher and, and to be our guide. And, um, and, and we, just, we, we submit to that teaching today. And say, mold us, make us, change us into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, we're not going to the first slide yet, so just hold on. Uh, Five weeks, five principles, okay? Five weeks, five principles, five truths about life. Um, And and before we get to any slides this morning, I want to tell you what what this truth is that we're going to look at. We're going to look at this truth... um, simply this morning, that God wants us to follow his leading. I mean, that's, that's kind of the banner over everything that we're going to do, is we, we serve a God that gracefully chooses to lead us, and he wants us to, to follow his leading. That's kind of how God works. And so, so this morning, that's what I want to get into uh, with you. And I've got three things to share with you uh, again, and, and we're going to be all throughout the Bible. If you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 12. But three things I want to share with you. And here's the first. The first thing I want you to see this morning, guys, is, is that God lovingly leads his children. Like, like this, is, this is the truth of, of all of Scripture put together. When we study the Bible as a whole, when we study it systematically, what we find is a God that is good, and, and a God that chooses a people for himself, and, and, and those people become his children, okay? And this God is so good that for his children, he constantly, consistently leads them into places that he prepares for them, okay? He, he provides for them. This is something we see over and over and over again. So the story of the Bible, what I want to do is give you the briefest history of the children of Israel that I can. I mean, we are going to... 
like, like it's Old Testament survey. We're in a helicopter, we're going to fly over a, a period of time, and I'm going to point to a few guys, and you guys try to keep up. Genesis chapter 12, we'll start here uh, with a man named Abram. Genesis chapter 12, uh, not on the screen, this is in our Bibles, we're reading along here. Um, Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord told him. So Abram left as the Lord told him. Let me ask you this question. Where is he going? You catch it in those first four verses? Oh, you didn't see it either. Because right? God didn't say specifically. He said, Abram, I'm going to take you into land. It's going to be awesome. And let's go. That's all he said. And, and, and here's the, to, to Abram's credit, he, it says he believes him. And so Abram left as, as the Lord told him to go. He didn't even know where he was going. He's simply following the leading of God. Now, if we read on through the book of Genesis, and again, we're like survey, we're flying through, um, we see that Abram, uh, eventually God keeps that promise, right? The promise was to be a father of many nations. And, and of course, Abram, when he leaves, he's 75. By the time God starts to fulfill that promise, he is one old dude, all right? If you're that old here this morning, I apologize for calling you an old dude, okay? But, but he, was, he was really old, and so, so that's what happens. So, so now uh, he's well along in years, and God finally gives him a son uh, named Isaac, right? By his wife, Sarah, he gets a son named Isaac. And, and we, we figure out, and we're going to talk about Isaac, by the way, in a few weeks. Isaac, really great story. We're going to talk about God's provision, Okay, now eventually Isaac, you remember, has a couple of sons. Uh, one of them is named Jacob, and the other is called Esau, right? And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 37 now, we are flying through the Old Testament. Um, we get to Genesis chapter 37, we find that uh, Jacob has many sons, and one of them is named Joseph. A young man named Joseph, Genesis chapter 37, says he's 17. And, there's, and, and by the way, he is his father's favorite. Right? Dad even makes him this really glorious coat that he doesn't have for any of the other brothers. And, and God does something pretty cool for him. God gives this young man, Joseph, the ability to have dreams and visions, and later on to interpret dreams and visions. The only problem is that when you put all this together, and you've got a young man that has the ability to have dreams and visions, who happens to be his father's favorite, and lacks a little bit of humility, it becomes a bit of a problem. And all of his other brothers hate him for it. Right? They, they, they actually, at one point, think they're going to kill him, and then they decide, hey, I'm not going to kill him. Um, they sell him into slavery. You remember, he ends up in a guy's house named Potiphar, and, which was awesome, except for his wife was a cougar that was on the prowl, and, uh, and basically came after him, grabbed him by the coat, said, come to bed with me, and he ran off naked. Uh, I mean, that's a man fleeing from sin right there. And, uh, and so he ends up in jail, I, I don't think for being naked and running, but I think because, it, yeah, his... his, his uh, Potiphar's like, dude, you got to go to jail. You can't touch my wife. He didn't touch his wife, but he ends up in jail. Where God reestablishes that ability to dream, have visions, and to interpret visions. And he has this, this, this uh, opportunity to answer. Pharaoh has these visions about, about cows, right? He has this vision about uh, skinny cows eating healthy cows. And, and, and uh, eventually, uh, nobody can figure it out, none of his wise men. And, and it comes to, somebody says, hey, Joseph, you know how to interpret dreams. Why don't you check that out? Joseph says, Pharaoh, I hate to tell you this, but a, a famine is coming over all the land, and you need to better start storing up stuff now. You're going to have seven years of abundance, followed by seven years of famine, so you need to store up 
for yourself treasures during these seven years of abundance. And Pharaoh says, dude, you're a smart guy. Come be in charge of my kingdom. So Joseph becomes second in command of all of Egypt is the story of Joseph. Then the famine hits and his family who sold him into slavery begins to starve to death. So they actually end up in Egypt because Egypt is the only place that has any food at this time in the history of the world. And they actually end up in Egypt knocking on the door and, and the brothers not realizing it's Joseph are asking, actually asking him for food. And so Joseph does this cool thing. He begins to explain um, who he is, right? And, uh, and, and I want you to look at what he says to his brothers. This is huge. Uh, Genesis 45, 5 through 8. He says, and now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives, get this, that God sent me ahead of you. Wait, how did he end up in jail again? It says it was God's leading. So, so God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping, right? But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. So we have, we have God leading Abram. We have God leading Joseph. Now, of course, we, we remember the story. Uh, eventually, the Pharaoh dies, the, the, the one that Joseph has a relationship with, and a new king comes in, and he doesn't know Joseph. And, and um, by the way, you know, all of Joseph's family has now joined them in Egypt. They have a special place. And when the Pharaoh dies and a new Pharaoh comes in, there's so many Jews that they start to freak out. They're like, uh, there's more of them than there are of us. We're in trouble. Because they took that command pretty seriously to be fruitful and multiply, right? Which I'm down with that command. I'm just saying, it's a good command. Right, right, Madas? Come on. You put it out there on Facebook, right? Yeah, they're expecting another new one. Couldn't help it. She's, you're going to kill me later, aren't you? Wednesday, it's coming. Okay, all right. We'll have everybody come up and rub your belly later. Um, isn't that the most awkward thing? I'm sorry, we're preaching here. Okay, so the story, the story is... The story is that the Jews multiply greatly and the new Pharaoh gets afraid. And so he basically says, listen, we're going to make them our slaves. And so they make them slaves in Egypt. The people cry out. God hears their cries. And so he sends somebody. He finds somebody. He says, listen, I'm going to send someone new to you. So do this with me. Again, we're following through our Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Exodus now, Exodus chapter 3. And we're just connecting dots because we want to see who is leading uh, who. And so Exodus chapter 3, uh, starting in, in verse uh, 7. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 7. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I, I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and with honey, the home of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites. And and, and, and here's the deal. So God says, listen, I heard them, and I am coming down to do what? To lead them out of Egypt. I'm coming down to lead them out of Egypt. And so eventually uh, God uses Moses to go to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, get out of here after the 12 plagues have been sent. And so Moses leads the people um, to, the, to, the, to the Red Sea. And he puts a staff in and, and God parts the waters, all that beautiful stuff. But let me ask you this. Moses was leading the people. Who was leading Moses? Well, well of course God was. In fact, Exodus 13, 21 says this. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day 
or by night. And eventually God is going to leave them to this place called Canaan. And he's, he's going to tell them to send some spies in. Ten of them come back and say, no way. The guys there are too big. Two of them come back and say, the fruit is too good. We've got to go even though the guys are big. Of course, we know there's 40 years wandering in the desert. And then God raises up another man, Joshua, who, get this, he leads to cross over the Jordan and finally take the land. Okay? And, and what I'm trying to tell you in this very brief summary of the children of God is this. Our God is a God that always lovingly leads his children into places that he has prepared for them. Our God is a God that always lovingly leads his children into places that he has prepared for them. That's absolutely the truth. So we start there. But that leads us to the second thing I want you to see. Because our God is a God that lovingly leads his children to places that he's prepared for them, because he does it lovingly, he never forces us to follow. God never forces his children to follow his leading, right? So, so as we survey the Bible, it becomes evident that God loves us. We see that page and page and page, time and time, through every story of Scripture. God loves us. God loves us. He has a plan for us. And, and he longs to lead us into blessings, into these places that he's prepared for us. That's why Jeremiah 29, 11 is everyone's favorite verse, right? I mean, come on, Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future, right? I mean, that's, that's awesome. That, 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 that's, that, that's, we love that stuff, don't we? The only problem is that promise comes with a caveat. That promise comes with this caveat, Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, when you seek me and find me, uh, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now, the word seek appears there twice, um, but they're two different words. So the second word seek here is actually a pretty unique word in Hebrew um, because it does mean to seek or, or to search, but it also, get this, it means to implore or to follow. To follow. So God is saying, listen, I love you. You're my children. I've got a great plan for you. And you want to know how to receive that plan? You want to know how to receive that blessing? You want to know how to enter into all that I've prepared for you? Ready? Follow me. Follow me. God's not going to force that blessing upon you. He's not going to force that provision upon you. He's going to provide for it. And he's going to say, now follow me. Now follow me. Ultimately, you get to choose whether you'll follow him or not. We get the good plans of God when we follow him. Let me ask you a question. Did you guys know that many Jewish scholars believe that several of the Jews stayed behind as slaves in Egypt instead of entering into the Exodus? Isn't that a crazy thought? Isn't that a crazy thought, being worked to death, that anyone would think, I'm going to stay behind? Now, we don't know if that's accurate or not. We just know in the Talmud there are Jewish scholars, and they, they think a pretty good number of them stayed behind. We, we don't know that for a fact. But isn't that crazy? That's a crazy thought to think that anyone would stay behind and when God led Moses and the Israelites to the brink of Canaan, he told Moses, I want you to send 12 spies over, right? And you remember 12 go across and, and, and they come back and only two... Now, by the way, God knew what they were going to find. He knew that there was, the promise was true, that the land was flowing with milk and honey, that there was going to be great provision there, but he also knew there were going to be problems there. And this is how good God is. He showed both of them to his people. He showed them the promise. 
But he also showed them the problems, right? And then they came back, and ten of the guys said, nope, the problems are too much. And two of the guys said, man, the problems are nothing. We've got God. And God says, yep, you're right, you've got me. And God reminds his children, listen, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. But those ten folks convinced an entire nation, those ten folks convinced an entire nation that the problems were too great. All they could see were the problems. They couldn't see the promise. So instead of following in faith, they fell into their fears. And I honestly think that that lesson rubbed off on Joshua what happened that day. I think it changed him for the rest of his life. As he breathes his last breath, he gives instruction. Now remember, he becomes the great leader of Israel. He's the one that actually leads the nation to cross over into the promised land. And and as this great leader that, that leads them into the promise is dying, this is what he says to his people. Ready? He says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Choose for you. See, this is the lesson he learned on that day. God is faithful. God is loving. Right? God, God wants to lead us into his provision, but God will never force us into it. You get to choose every day whom you're going to serve. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. So we start here, right? God lovingly leads us. God lovingly leads us. Number two, God never forces us to follow, which brings us to number three, the third truth as we study God's leading throughout Scripture, that God rewards the brave and the faithful that follow him. God rewards the brave and the faithful that follow him. So 12 spies enter the land. Only two come back with a positive report, right? The other 10 convince a nation um, to say no. They focus on the problems rather than the promise. And the result um, is not good, okay? So I'll let you read it here. Here's the result. This is what God says. And God, God says this, by the way. He speaks this to everybody over the age of 20, except for Joshua and Caleb. Now, why the age of 20? Age of 20 was the age that you were responsible to fight as a Jew. Okay? So, so he says, if you're, if you're going to make the choice not to fight this fight, that's fine. Here's the consequence. All of you that could fight this fight but chose not to, God speaks this over them. He says, not one of you will enter the land that I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except for Caleb and Joshua. Wow. That's that's pretty serious, right? Now, I want to pause here and I want to say something. I need you to hear this very clearly, okay? I want you to hear this very clearly. I want to say something I think is important because the goal here is not manipulation. The goal here is simply presentation of biblical fact, okay? So this is just presentation of the events. We're not trying to manipulate you or make you think a, a certain way. This group of people, the over 20s, that lacked the faith to follow God into the promised land. I want you to see this. This is really important. They did not lose God. Okay? They, they didn't lose God. I think it would be real easy to try to twist arms here and say, well, you've got to do this. Or you no, listen. They didn't lose God. Okay? They lacked faith, but they didn't lose God. In fact, God never stopped providing for them. They lacked the faith to enter But you know what God did? He provided for the rest of their lives. He still provided manna from heaven. He still provided their daily bread. Right? God still provided for them. Um, God didn't leave them. 
God, God didn't stop meeting with Moses in the tent of meeting. God still came down and met with Moses. Um, he, he, didn't, he didn't stop protecting them. Did you know that? The pillar cloud remained the entire time they were in the wilderness. Until they crossed over, the pillar cloud was still there. It would lead them around during the day. It would protect them from the heat of the sun. And at night it would come down and it would glow with fire and it would keep them warm. And the nations saw this at night, this cloud on fire and people not getting consumed. And they were scared of the Israelites. God never stopped protecting them. Okay? So I, I need you to hear this because this is truth. Okay? They didn't lose God. But hear me. While they didn't lose God, they did miss out on his blessing. They did miss out on his promise. That's huge. The blessing, the abundance, was only rewarded to the faithful. It was only rewarded to Joshua and to Caleb and to the under 20 crowd in this case. Wow. Talk about a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, right? A whole generation missed out on the promise. So what does all that have to do with us in our current situation? Remember, first and foremost, these are lessons for life. They just happen to apply to our current situation. So what does all that have to do with our current situation? Well, frankly, we believe that we may be um, on the verge of of one of these once-in-a-lifetime moments as a church. We really, really do. That's why we're here we, we believe that we're on the verge of one of those opportunities to follow him and to follow his leading and, and basically, well, to, to, build, um, to build this on the screen for you, too. Um, this is a uh, 30,000 square foot. This is a 30,000 square foot multi-purpose, get me, phase one facility. It's only phase one. This is not the end game. Uh, but we believe that this is what God is leading us uh, to, to build. And so if you're going to ask me why we're planning to do this, the very first reason I would tell you, ready? very first reason is this, because we believe God is leading us, right? That's why we're talking about God's leading this morning. So our, our first reason why we feel like we're, we're kind of confident this is where we're supposed to head is really because we feel and we sense that this is God's leading. So let me tell you the story. Many of you don't know it. Many of you are kind of new. So um, very early on in my time here, we began to kind of keep track and kind of keep record of how many people were showing up. And it was kind of crazy. And, and we started noticing noticing some weird trends. We would um, increase and we would be full on a couple Sundays and usually that ran for two or three weeks in a row. We'd hit a number of about 215 or 225 folks and then after about three weeks at that number we would plummet back below and then we would slowly climb up to that number and then we would plummet back below. Who, who here remembers those days? You remember, and it would be crowded and then you would plummet back below and crowded and, and so it got us kind of thinking. We, we, I started studying the history of the church and you studied the attendance records of the history of the church. You saw this was something that was not new for us. The church had, had continually in its history grown to a point and then shrunk back and grown to its point and shrunk back. So I had this really weird thought. Uh, Ed Whaley was, was the head of Building Grounds at that time. I said, hey, Ed, can you do me a favor? Because um, everybody had this belief that our church seats 300 people. I said, I don't know why we only had 225. We can easily seat 300 people around here. And so I said, Ed, let's do this. I know it's wacky. Would you measure um, the linear footage of our pews and figure out how much space we have. And so it's really cool. I've got the graph. He actually put it on graph paper, and he, everything was drawn to dimension. And it was, it's so neat. It was so unlike me. I would have given him a number. Dude, there's that much space, right? There's, he drew out this graph, and, uh, and, and he lined it out. And so then we divided um, by, we're trying to be thoughtful, okay? We divided by uh, the linear footage by 24 inches, 
24 inches, okay? I know that sound, two feet sounds like a lot, but, but guys, 24 inches on me is right here, okay? So 24 inches on me is, is right here. So when I sit down, um, I really only take up about 20, 22 maybe, but my knees, when I sit down, my knees pop out past 24. So we thought 24 inches is kind of a good... So when we did all that math, we came out with 257 seats as max capacity. That's crazy, Right? So what happened is every time we would hit about 220, 225 people, we were running almost 90% of capacity. People thought we were too full and they didn't come back. And so we began to study, like, what can we do for this overcrowding? Like, how can we create more space? And so we called the Baptist General Convention of Texas, and we said, hey, would you send somebody out? So they sent their chief architect, which is kind of cool. And this guy came, and he said, let me, let me look at the building. We said, could we, we had some ideas. We're like, ooh, we could blow out this wall and expand that way and move the stage over and take over that part of the parking lot. We had all these ideas. And so the guy, um, he went up in, in the attic and looked at the trusses. He went down and looked at some of the basement work, and he basically came back and said, okay, bad news, you cannot expand this facility. We're like, what? He said, well, actually, that's not true. He said, you could expand the facility, but I would not want to be accountable to God for the amount of money it would cost. Evidently, the trust work is pretty, yeah, pretty difficult to to replicate. So he said, "If, if I were you, I think you need to look at these two options. One, you need to look at a second service. And two, you need to start praying about possible relocation someday. And we're like, whatever. We're choosing door one. Um, and we had been praying about a second service for a while anyway. So we really felt like that was confirmation. So 2012, we started a second service. And immediately, God blessed it. And immediately, God blessed it. And so we, on since 2012, consistently have added another probably 40 folks every week um, to our worship service, sometimes up to 70 more folks than we would typically have, okay? Which is pretty impressive. Like, God's really blessed that. It's been so good. It's been so good. Now, in 2013, something else happened. We felt impressed by the Holy Spirit that it was time to start thinking about purchasing land. And so I'll just tell you the story. We'd been talking about it and praying about it with deacons. Two services was going well. And, uh, and so we'd been praying about this. And one day I was driving home from a hospital visit, and it was like the Lord... Uh, have you ever had one of those moments, kind of like Paul, you know, when the scales were over your eyes and suddenly the scales dropped? I was driving down 290, and all of a sudden I realized all the way down 290 from Maynard to Elgin was nothing but real estate signs. Every single piece of acreage and property was up for sale. And we were like, whoa, what happened? And I wasn't the only one that noticed it. Our deacons started to notice it. And, and we kind of felt this impression. At the same time, Jeff Carter was the chairman of our deacons. And he called me one day out of the blue and he said, hey, what would you rather have? Would you rather have do- the Dollar General building, Caddy Corner, or would you rather have 15 acres of land? And I said, I, I don't know what I would rather have. But I guess the question is really, what would the church need? We started to pray about it. And we thought, well, how ridiculous would it be to walk Caddy Corner across the street, all of us, to go to a worship center. Like that would just be, and we started looking then at properties around, you know, there's a house over here, $300,000. There's one next to it, it's a couple hundred thousand. We, it was impossible for us to expand here. And we really, again, felt the Holy Spirit confirming this need to start looking for property. We brought that to the church. God, God showed us this beautiful piece of property uh, on County Line Road at the curve between Elgin High School and Nidig Elementary. And we thought, wow. Happened to be 18 acres that we looked at. We thought it should be somewhere between 15 and 20. Because it's not about our needs now. It's about the needs of this church for the next 100, 150 years, right? So we began to pray about these things. Now, when the church unanimously said, yeah, we need to go and do that. We're like, okay, Lord, breaks, please, hold on. So we tried to set some barriers. We said, okay, if this is from God, 
This is like the golden fleece, all right? We're like, God, if this is from you, you're going to provide $100,000 to put down on this land. Now, by the way, this was in May, uh, mid-May, and the offering was going to be in December, so five months' time. We're like, God, you're going to provide $100,000, and we had our first glory Sunday, and you know what happened on that first glory Sunday? The Lord provided $114,000 to put a down payment on the property. In less than two years, the Lord paid off the property altogether. Now, I need you to hear me. We don't believe those to be coincidences around here. We believe that to be evidence of God's leading, of of his sovereign um, direction for us, okay? And and I want you to understand, this is just a pretty picture, to be honest. And and we have several to show you. We're going to show you several over the next couple weeks. But I picked this one on purpose. Ready? Because it's inviting. It's a very inviting picture. You, you can't see from the angle. I've got another angle for you. This is, a, this is a covered drive that sticks out. It's big enough for a couple cars to go under and drop people off. On. It's a very inviting picture. And I chose that picture, guys, because the truth is that's exactly what I want to do. For the next four weeks, I just want you, I want to invite you to join us to not just talk about where we are right now as a church, but I want, you, I want to invite you to join us to talk about who God is and what he wants for his children in general. That, that God wants us to follow his leading. That God wants us to live in Canaan, not in the wilderness. He wants us to live in abundance, right? That God wants us to conquer our fears. These are the lessons that I think are important for Christians to understand in general, but they specifically apply to where we are right now. So what we're going to do starting next week is we're going to walk into this building together during this second half of the sermon. We're going to open its doors, and we're going to start to look at how it's designed and why it's designed. Specifically, this building is designed to eliminate some of the problems that we have had around here for a long time, like no place to meet, right? right. How, how many of you like, would like to fellowship together just a little more often? Amen? Anybody ever tried to go to one of those things after church here, and you had to eat out in the hallway? Or in the kids' room, that's, that's always the best. When you get stuck in the little kids' room, like, yay! I still haven't made it from the kids' table, right? It's awesome. We're going to open the doors, and we're going to show you how this design is meant to overcome some of the flaws that we have now, but also how it's designed to lead us into the next generation of ministry, not just as a church, okay, but ministry to a whole city and community. So that's the journey I want to invite you on. I'm going to invite you over the next few weeks to come with an open mind, to come with an open heart, and to come ready to hear from the Lord, first and foremost, what he wants for you individually, but secondly, to join us in prayer that we would hear from the Lord and what he wants us to do collectively. Okay? Do you guys join me in a word of prayer? Father, uh, thank you for loving us. Thank you um, for leading us. God, I'm so thankful that we are not just lost and forgotten about here in this place called earth, but rather that we have this huge, all-powerful God that knows the depths of our hearts, that knows our desires, and, and, and that has provided for us, provided for us a, a place to live and to dwell and to be blessed. God, would you help us follow your leading into that blessing? individually, in our lives, whatever area that is right now. Would you, would you lead us there, Lord Jesus? Collectively, would you lead us there?
Please, 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 Jesus, in your name, we ask these things. Amen. God is a loving God. He always leads his children. Now, he never forces them to follow. That wouldn't be loving. He always leads them and gives them that choice. But he does bless them when they choose to follow. And before we start talking about praying for the church, which we'll do here in a moment, I want to just talk about your life. Can I just talk about you for a minute? What area in your life has God been trying to lead you? Like, like, like what blessing does God have in store for you if you choose to follow, right? Remember, some of you are here and, and, and God called you to do something a long time ago in life and you said no. You said no. You saw the potential, but you saw the problems too, and you said no. And, and I've got good news for you. Ready? You didn't lose God when you said no. And you didn't lose his provision when you said no. And you didn't lose his protection when you said no. You didn't lose him. You didn't lose him. But you may have lost that opportunity. Let's not lose the one he's calling you to today. Right? Let's not lose the next blessing. By the way, maybe it's been 40 years and he's just reopening that door. (laughs) Maybe there's a new you that has a new chance to enter into that, that moment, that promise that he promised a long time ago, right? So first and foremost, guys, this is about our spiritual lives. This is about our relationship with God. So I want you to, want you to think through that, okay? But secondly, secondly, this is about this season for our church. This is about a time that we have an opportunity that, can I be honest, most churches never get. Go Google it today. Go, go Google how many churches will shut their doors this year. How many old churches like this that are landlocked, that can't expand, will shut their doors this year? Go Google it. You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked. And yet here we stand by the grace of God. Not just talking about shutting doors. We're not talking about shutting doors. We're talking about building new doors. Doors that people will be able to walk through long after we can't walk anymore. Isn't that crazy? Isn't God good? So we want to invite you. We want to invite you to believe. We want to invite you to pray. We want to invite you to follow. Okay? So that's what this is going to be about. So um, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray for us. And, and I'm going to, um, we're going to do this kind of separately. So if there's something in your life... Um, that you, you feel God tugging like this is me individually today. I'm going to ask you to stay where you are this morning and to pray that out. Okay? But for some of you um, this morning that, that physically can, uh, this is a big deal. I'm, I'm telling you, October 9th is, is going to be a historic date in the history of First Baptist Church. It just is. We need to be praying. <laughs> need to be praying. So I'm going to invite you, if you're physically able, to come and to join us and to start praying. Start praying that we would see clearly God's hand and God's feet. And that as a body, that we would want to go wherever he goes. Wherever that is. Whatever that looks like, okay? We want his will, not ours. All right? So let me pray for us. And as I start to pray, would you stand to your feet? Father, God, we love you. And we praise you. We ask now that you would have your way with us. Have your way with us. God, help us see that this is you. 
that's talking to us right now about our life. Help us see that this is you. God, that's talking to us right now about our church. Help us see that this is you. Help us see where you're leading. And help us make that choice to follow in to the blessing. Not to be captured by the fears. Love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So here's the invitation. If you're, if you're, if you're praying about personal stuff again, you can, you can pray here. You can come grab me if you want somebody to pray with you. But um, I'm going to ask our church body. Uh, we did this in the early services. Really cool. If, you, if you're willing to come and pray about the future of this church, you don't have to be a member yet. You just have to, you know, hey, I enjoy it. That's cool. Will you come and join us in prayer? And what I'm going to ask you to do, I know it's weird. We're weird here. I'm going to ask you to reach out and put a hand on somebody next to you because we're family. We're family. We're, we can't do any of this by ourselves. This is all, first and foremost, this is all going to be from the hand of God. But secondly, it's going to come when, when we each choose to faithfully do our part, okay? So we're going we're gonna to start that part in prayer. So we're going to ask you, would you guys come? Uh, would you come now? Uh, go ahead. You can leave. Come on up here. You can, you can ba- if you're physically able. Now, if, you, if you're not able, that's okay. Uh, if you get stuck down here, we'll pull you up. We don't mind. We don't mind. We're good with that. But you can just kneel. You can pray. And put a hand on somebody next to you. And y'all just go ahead and start to pray. Let's pray together, family. Let's pray together. Let's pray. God, help us see your leading. God, help us trust you. God, help us see the fruit. Lord, please.